All right, everyone, welcome back. This is Ryan Selkis, and you're listening to Masari's Unqualified Opinions, where each week I interview crypto's top builders, investors, and personalities to discuss the key trends in the industry. You can discover more about Masari at masari.io. But for now, let's get right into the episode. It's going to be a good one. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the top blockchain events and media production companies I've worked with. For exclusive content and events that could help you with insight into the crypto and blockchain space, check them out at blockworksgroup.io and you will not be disappointed. Welcome back, everyone. This is Ryan Selkis at 2 Bit Idiot with another episode of Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm very excited uh, for one of the first episodes of the new year uh, to have Zaki Munyan, uh, the Director of Research at Tendermint's. Uh, we're going to talk a bit about Cosmos, IBC, uh, the Game of Stakes, and maybe Game of Thrones when it comes to <laughs> "quote unquote" Ethereum killers. Um, there's uh, there's quite a bit to cover. Uh, Cosmos certainly one of the most exciting projects in the industry right now. Has has had a phenomenal run since the initial fundraising and creation in 2017. Really, the project dates back you know a bit further than that. Um, but it is uh, one of the teams that's been most active, I'd say, in, in, in shipping updates and, and really uh, solving this interoperability problem between blockchains. Uh, and I know Zaki is going to say, well, we're doing much more than just that. So I'll, I'll give him a chance to, to, to speak. But um, for starters, uh, Zaki, we always start off by asking about the backstory of the person involved, right? So, so you know, exactly how did you get into crypto? Was it Bitcoin first? Was it Ether first? Or, or, or you know, what, what helped you fall down the rabbit hole and get us to the point where we're, we're sitting across from each other today? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll do the fast version of the story. Um, so before blockchains, I was doing something completely different. Uh, I was building medical devices. Um, so software, firmware, optics, lasers, proteins, that kind of stuff. Um, and I got, I had this moment of insight, which was, oh, the software I write is terrible. But the software that is running the world, is like increasingly running the world is written by people who are as good as or worse than me. Um, and like that sort of moment of insight was, Okay, like, okay, this is going to be a problem. Uh, and so then it was, how do we figure out, uh, or like, where do I redirect my career um, to kind of like, you know, catch what it seems like a, that bullet head on, essentially. Um, and so I just kind of saw that the, that was where the puck was going. And I started getting more interested in cryptography, distributed systems, formal verification, all of that stuff. Um, I got interested in sort of government surveillance and privacy. I started uh, spending more time with people who were involved in things like the Signal Project. Um, and Matt Carello was a contributor to the Signal Project at the time. And I was like, what is this Bitcoin thing that you work on? Um, and so he started explaining how Bitcoin uh, uh, sort of worked to me. I got pretty in, in, intrigued with it. At the same time, I was building my knowledge of cryptography, distributed systems. Uh, I met Jay Kwan, who's the founder of Tendermint, around the same time. This is 2013, right around the time when like the first, you know, the uh, uh, Mt. Gox era Bitcoin bubble happened. Uh, and at the time, I didn't really, I, it took me a long time actually to come around on cryptocurrencies. I thought the technology is really interesting. I want to work in this space. Um, so I started uh, an enterprise blockchain company called SkewChain. Mm -hmm. uh, explored the enterprise blockchain space for a while, was involved in like, you know, did projects for Wells Fargo, et cetera. And what, I never I never actually put that together. So we'd invested in SKU chain yeah. at Digital Currency Group and I didn't realize. Yeah. So I go I go way back with DCG. Um, and then we so then, you know, and the the, the paths of Tendermint, SKU chain, Cosmos kept crossing each other. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, at the same time I was uh, so I didn't know anything about how like money moving systems work. Like I knew how to like invest as like a retail investor. Uh, and like, I knew how to read a PL before I started Scooch. I didn't learn, know how like, m like the back office of capital markets or money moving systems. Mm -hmm. But in order to sort of like pursue this enterprise blockchain path, I had to learn all of that. Mm -hmm. And 20, like early, early 2017 was when, um, I got, I sort of had this moment, like the, the next insight, which was, 
okay, not like to fully realize the value of this technology, the setting in which it makes the most sense is public blockchains. Mm -hmm. um, but I had had this weird hobby, which is public blockchain scalability. So 2014, 2015, there was just this like tiny group of people, uh, Vitalik, Vlad, Dominic Williams, Jay, um, Ethan, who like cared about this idea of like, if people wanted to use public blockchains, how would we actually build them at scale? How would we actually do useful things, like have them operate at the scale of the global economy? Mm -hmm. And I was really frustrated with the approach that Ethereum, like Vitalik and Vlad were taking in 2016. And I was really frustrated with the approach that Definity was taking in 2016. And so um, Jay, Ethan, and I were like sort of started to put a bunch of ideas that we'd all had together. And that turned into Cosmos. Um, but, you know, it was so much more than a, you know, a blockchain project is so much more than it's a, it's a, it's a regulatory compliance strategy. It's a community building strategy. It's a branding strategy. It's a technical strategy. And it was, it's continued to be a very challenging environment to work in, uh, to deliver all, like make all of that stuff real, but we've made a lot of progress in 2019. And, and you were in the earlier camp of ICOs. Uh, so way, you know, this is end of 2016, beginning 2017, when, when this project was birthed and, and you were able to get the initial stakeholders in place. So we tried really hard to do a better job on sort of regulatory compliance than even, let's say, Ethereum did. Mm -hmm. um, so well, we, a couple of years later, so you couldn't hide as well either, right? We, so. <laughs> we couldn't hide as well. But we were also really, so, you know, we, we never anticipated the, we did not anticipate the ICO boom. Mm -hmm. What was the reality of the situation was, is that we wanted to build open source software. Mm -hmm. um, we thought the only value of this stuff is if it's open source, anyone can use it, anyone could build in it. That was a really tough thing in 2016 to get anyone to fund. Um, mm -hmm. And so we thought that a public fundraiser uh, building something like along the lines of like the Apache Software Foundation, et cetera, to build open source software was like a credible way of doing this. Um, we made very clear there were no tokens issued um, during this. So it wasn't really like an ICO. Um, and then when the software was at the point where it could sustain tokens, at least one instance of this blockchain exists that like has fundraiser dr driven token distribution. That's the Cosmos Hub. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this was, so there was about uh, a two-year lag between the two, right? So the, yeah. the, the initial fundraising uh, took place in, in kind of Q1 of 2017, yeah. right before. Yeah, we were right after Gnosis. Do you kind of wish you'd waited like three more months? It, if, it's it's, it's, it's uh, crazy to me to think that if you and Tezos had just kind of transposed your funding dates, maybe you would have raised 10 times as much. So, <laughs> or I, I, don't, general, I know that wasn't a goal, but my general point of view was the more like my experience with all of this, and you know, I'm very close to the Tezos people. I'm very close to uh, you know, I was I was involved in all of this stuff that happened in 2017, um, and my point of view was largely the more money you raised, um, the worse time you had it. Yes, um, like. I, our goal was to really raise just the amount of money that we needed mm -hmm. to execute on the project. Um, we are fortunate to be in a position that we had more than enough runway, even though it took longer than it was expected to like sort of fully deliver on what the vision is. And we are unfortunately, we've like sort of managed things well to the point where we can now incubate this, this uh, uh, network through the resources that are available. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, ultimately what we have built was an open system. Uh, the, 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 the real driver is people finding useful stuff to do with the system and then hopefully feeding back and investing in the underlying technology. Well, well let's talk a little bit about what Cosmos is, right? So, so you're director of research at Tendermint. You complete this fundraise and the, the two primary beneficiaries were Tendermint's um, and uh, another company, Gorek, who's working in collaboration on actually shipping some of the tech related to Cosmos, uh, the network, and then this new intra-blockchain protocol. I don't want to spend this entire conversation like going to the weeds of the organizational structure. No, just, but just but to like, give, what, to what give this, people a map so that they- What the map you should have is, prior to this year, 
there was just Tendermint the company, which was a company that was founded all the way back in 2014. Um, and Tendermint the company was focused on delivering the system. As we kind of got closer to launch and through the launch of the Cosmos Hub, um, the ecosystem has grown. We've um, we've you know participated in you know service agreements, grants, etc., with a significant number of entities. But one of the real privileges that we've had with the Agoric team is that, at least for me, a big inspiration in the Cosmos design was the earlier work of the Agoric team mm-hmm. um, back in the '90s. Uh, I didn't know them at the time. Like when we, when they, I had this, like was reading their work. Um, another friend had introduced me to their work and said, you know, I think this stuff is like really where smart contracts should go. Uh, nobody in the blockchain space seems to be aware of it or working on it. Um, so I was like, okay, this sounds like a great idea. Um, and this was like kind of what we were building. And then along the way, Zuko introduced me to the founders of Agoric. Um, and I was like, well, I think that there's a, because we were inspired by your ideas, there's huge synergy here between what you want and what Cosmos wants. And that has mostly borne out in terms of like technical roadmap, et cetera. Well, the, the reason I bring up the structure is not to get into the, you know, corporate minutia or- Yeah. You know, like what is the Swiss Foundation doing? What is the yeah, but, but it, Delaware Corps, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is important though, because I think it, it speaks to the actual early steps that you took to decentralize the stakeholder group. Um, which many people talk about, but they kind of say, okay, well, we as a company are going to create this blockchain and then we'll do it kind of gradually over time. Whereas uh, you could say it was similar, but but the having other kind of founding stakeholders around the table when the network launched was, was I'd say, a, a pretty meaningful driver of um, the community ethos that seems to be um, more positive around Cosmos than other, you know, ETH, killer, you know, this kind of bucket of, of branded protocols that, that uh, some people are worried about or are fighting to steal share from Ethereum. So far, like we, we, okay, so what our thesis was, our thesis was is that we release pieces of technology early that people can actually use to build things and use that feedback to like drive development of the system. Yep. No one else has followed this pattern uh, at all. Uh, it, it, it continues to shock me given how successful we have been with this pattern. Mm-hmm. Like, release the consensus engine. Every, like, there have never been significant private, you know, GitHub repositories in the Cosmos Tendermint project. Everything has been open source. Everything we do is through GitHub. We, our development process has always been extremely friendly to uh, outside contributors. And mostly where the outside contributors come from is somebody builds either a big company or a startup company decides to start building on Cosmos and Tendermint and starts contributing to the project. Um, Just because, you know, it is easier when you, they all want different features. Uh, Now, you know, this year has been challenging because we have, you know, this enormous ecosystem participant in Binance uh, and we have not been able to sort of fully reconcile how to work together um, uh, around it. But, you know, it is, it does mean that there is this huge developer team uh, uh, that is working on roughly the same stack. So uh, we want to take a step back. You can get very technical uh, yeah. and and I can get a little bit technical, but but we're going to try to keep it uh, at 30,000 feet as much as possible. Absolutely. Just pull me back. Yeah. So, so, so the, prim- the primary uh, innovation and what's really interesting about Cosmos, um, and I think the meme fits, so we'll use it, is this internet of blockchains, right? Yeah. The, the concept that there will be many different ledgers that are going to need to talk to each other in the yeah. future. Um, because these ledgers are not one size fits all. You might have kind of bespoke needs if you're an enterprise, if you're in a certain jurisdiction, if you're in a certain market. Um, so I'll just so give we, you a really high level because we because this year was the proof. Like this year, again, unexpectedly, we got really the proof mm-hmm. of this point of view, which was our point of view, which was how we are fundamentally different from Ethereum which was we believed that any group of stakeholders will most likely end up wanting their own blockchain. And so the first the first sort of proof that we got of this was that Binance picked the Cosmos SDK Tendermint for the Binance decks. Um, they were like, they could have, you know, built it on Ethereum. They could have, you know, picked any, any number of other blockchains. Mm-hmm. And for the time, and like what they clearly signaled was we want our own blockchain. Uh, we want to control. We want that level of control. Mm-hmm. But 
I think the Aragon project picking migrating to the co to a Cosmos chain was again just like sort of un like all of these things are not business development wins. No one from Tendermint went and like met with CZ and was like convinced him to use the Cosmos SDK. Their technology teams surveyed the landscape, figured out what they needed and what 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 would work for them. And frankly, it was politically a politically inconvenient choice for them, mm -hmm. and nevertheless did the thing. Mm -hmm. um, Aragon, same sort of deal. Nobody ever, nobody on our side ever really met with them. We built a, we built uh, an Ethereum compatibility layer uh, with uh, for the Cosmos SDK so that, that people could migrate their existing software. Um, and Aragon was like, yeah, we love this. Um, we got completely screwed over by the Istanbul upgrade and we don't want to do that anymore. Uh, we see the advantage of the Aragon community having uh, control over a blockchain. Um, and not living on top of the theory. And, and because we're, uh, uh, I want to pull back on the uh, jargon or, or names that some people might be less familiar with. Uh, most people within the ecosystem will know, you know, Aragon governance system focused right. on decentralized autonomous organizations, which are uh, probably one of the big themes of the year. Um, the Istanbul upgrade you're referring to, the hard fork of Ethereum, broke some of their smart contracts. Yep. Um, and it, it, it kind of comes back to the ethos of, of, of Ethereum, which is more loose and move fast, break things. Um, you could argue. I would say, I mean, like they made a credible technical choice. Mm -hmm. Like Ethereum said it is a security vulnerability that we're closing. No one had ever exploited this vulnerability. It had been there since the beginning. But... Their priorities, the priorities of the Ethereum developers, were not the priorities of the Aragon community, which perhaps would have preferred, you know, their contracts work until someone exploits this vulnerability. And and this is important because so it's it's uh, backwards compatibility, right? So so this is one of the the areas that that folks that criticize Ethereum actually have a fair point, and it kind of gives an opening to other competitive protocols. Uh, I'm not going to say that Cosmos is ne necessarily, you know, exactly competitive versus complementary or not. Maybe we can touch on that a little bit later. I'd say our main, dif main, the main difference between Cosmos and let's say the wider world of Ethereum killers mm -hmm. is most of the wider world of Ethereum killers try to be Ethereum but better. We are simply different. If if the market prefers the way Cosmos is, works and is architected, it's because the market prefers that different opinion. And I think, you know, my, I've had a real, I've been friends with Vitalik for five years. Um, he's always been a fan of Cosmos and he, we sort of share that opinion. Like mm -hmm. this is interesting because it is a take, a completely different take on what blockchains are. Um, one of us could be, you know, maybe both coexist. Maybe one of us is right. We won't know for many years. So we're, we're kind of dancing around the, the core here, which is uh, how exactly is Cosmos different, right? So um, at, a, at a super high level, um, you have this hub and zone model, yep. um, which basically uses the hub, the Cosmos hub, as kind of the coordinating ledger and then allows other projects, companies, stakeholder groups to port into that main yep. hub with their own sub ledgers, sub blockchains. Yep. The first, the pieces that we've built and are fully deployed and are powering mm -hmm. projects like Aragon and Binance, et cetera, is this toolkit for building your own blockchain. Mm -hmm. The piece that as director of research, I spent most of 2019 sort of working on and we are deploying in 2020 is the inter blockchain communication protocol. Um, you can think of it as a fully built out vision of what, you know, started with like the Blockstream sidechains paper. Um, and basically it's, you have this toolkit, you can build your own blockchain. Once you built your own blockchain, well, it's really tough to like invent money to power your blockchain. So where's where where's money going to come from? Where are assets going to come from? And the reality is they're probably going to come from ex existing blockchains. Um, so we'll, how do you get a network effect around that? And what IBC is is a mechanism by which uh, uh, modules, smart contracts, etc., on different blockchains can actually start cooperating with each other, can start working together, where you can pull an asset from, let's say, the Cosmos Hub, you can pull atoms, et cetera. You can use them for security. You can use them, uh, you can use a fee token to power your gas model, et cetera. It allows an entrepreneur, a community, et cetera, to have a shared state machine, to have the, the power and the properties of a blockchain um, without having to create money. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is, I think, the real power at a high level 
of what the Cosmos model is. So let, let, let's talk about um, the 101 explanation for, for how this, this works, right? So uh, you want to um, use Cosmos to make a, an Ethereum to Bitcoin transfer, right? Sure. So uh, there's that there's is like a, the most painful use case, but I'll like we'll go we'll go uh, for it. Yeah, let's 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 just try to kind of help people understand the, the flows, even though we don't have a whiteboard here. So maybe like let's let's start with a little simpler use case, and then let's let's go to it. Uh, 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 just because I'm gonna otherwise throw so much jargon at people that they're not they're not gonna. Let, let's keep it simple, and we'll leave it at that. Yeah, we'll throw yeah. my example out. Let's okay. do yours. Let's let's start with. I'm on a DEX, let's say the Binance, you know, I'm on a Binance DEX. There's liquidity there. I want to issue an asset. I want to, I want to distribute it, uh, uh, to the, uh, to the, to the, to the community through the Binance DEX, um, or some other DEX, a DEX on the Cosmos Hub, et cetera. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm making crypto kitties on my blockchain. Um, and I want those, I want people to be able to trade those crypto kitties. Um, and this is a common business problem, you know. People are talking about gaming and collectibles, and but how do you get liquidity? Um, so if there are venues in the Cosmos network, blockchains that have a significant amount of liquidity, um, you just have to be able to bring your asset there. Uh, so right now there are trusted ways of doing that. There's an Oracle, you can have like an escrow. Um, this is how the Binance, well, I won't get too much into the, into the weeds there, but you go, so you can basically say, in my blockchain, you have the IBC module. So you tell the IBC module, I want to lock up my CryptoKitty on, you know, CryptoKitties, the CryptoKitty chain. I want to send it to the Cosmos Hub. And there people can exchange it for other assets, all the different assets that live on the Cosmos Hub. So they uh, uh, lock it up. They send an IBC packet that says this CryptoKitty is locked up. And you send it to the Cosmos Hub. The Cosmos Hub recognizes that packet. So, you know, the Tendermint consensus algorithm came to consensus on the, I've locked up my CryptoKitty. It sends you a packet saying, I prove to you that I've locked up my CryptoKitty. And then it instantiates a CryptoKitty, a virtual CryptoKitty on the Cosmos Hub. Mm -hmm. And from there, uh, people can trade it. People can move it from there onwards to, let's say, the Binance Dex, et cetera. You can take advantage of connections and trust relationships. Um, that the Cosmos Hub has with the wider ecosystem without having to bootstrap all of this yourself. And just like you have this compositional network effect between smart contracts on Ethereum, you get a compositional network effect between blockchains and Cosmos. So uh, just to be clear, though, it, they're, they're basically new, uh, you know, atomized uh, synthetic assets that are created, right? So you're not locking atoms on the other side of the equation. No. So where, where does the atom token come into this? So the Atom token is a couple of things. First and foremost, the Atom is an experiment in permissionlessly running a system like this. Um, so there are, you know, uh, uh, permissioned Cosmos chains that already exist. Um, you know, the Binance uh, uh, system, anyone can use it, but only the Binance selects the, who the validators, operators of the network are. So Cosmos is an experiment in permissionlessness. The second thing that Cosmos is, uh, a, a, the Atom token is an experiment in, is it is experiment in governance. It's an experiment in how can you, how does, you know, can you have decentralized sort of management of a system like this? Uh, can it be available? Can it evolve? Can it do updates? You know, we just finished the second upgrade that was sort of managed by this governance process. And now governance has control directly over all the economic parameters of the system. And then the, there's sort of the uh, hypothetical future in this IBC enabled world of what atoms uh, um, can, what, what atoms are for. And what atoms are for is, is largely collateralizing the security of the ecosystem that exists around the Cosmos Hub. So rather than, for instance, having smart contracts on the Cosmos Hub, we imagine that you could spin up a zone that supports either the Agoric smart contract system or the EVM or uh, Cadena's smart contract system or anything else that kind of comes up into existence. Um, but you don't want to, you know, the, if you just create a new staking token for it, the security around it would be weak. But what we're expecting and have prototyped and expect to, the hub to eventually adopt is protocols by which those atom tokens, which are right now slashable for misbehaviors on the hub, 
become slashable for misbehaviors across this entire ecosystem. And so the cosmos, the atom becomes the anchor of the permissionless universe in the cosmos hub and sort of the interchain point between what we expect to see is a permissioned world and of various kinds and a permissionless world. And uh, in return for actually holding these and, and being part of the security model, there's an embedded inflation reward. So there, so there's an inflationary reward that was sort of designed to like bootstrap staking into existence. Mm -hmm. um, when we conceived of this whole system, we never imagined that a year in we would have 75% of all atoms staked. Mm -hmm. um, it was, uh, we started to have indications that this might be the case, um, but like the whole staking pickup was way faster than we ever anticipated. Mm -hmm. So now we're really transitioning between this sort of inflation driven economic model and a transaction fee driven uh, or, or a rent based uh, economic model. And what what atom holders are sort of charged with in order for their atoms to be valuable, in order for them to be successful, they got to go find real sources of revenue, real cash flows that they can that they can take a portion of and can be distributed atom holders. Um, and that is the job of the Cosmos Hub. Now, has that been done yet? Has that transition been done yet, or is that in no? That is that is as part of the IBC. That well, that is IBC sets up the ingredients for that, yep. but. Product market fit there? Yeah. No one knows. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's it's interesting because you say um, you're trying to solve for this interoperability between blockchains and, and different asset holding blockchains, I guess, for, for lack of a better term. Um, but atoms really are valued as if they're a form of money right now. Uh, I hope not. Well, if you, if you just if you just look at the you know the well, dollars I, and cents of it, it you know I, I'm not I, saying the market's rational or that it ever has been in crypto, but but it is. Um, what you're saying makes sense from a fundamental standpoint. I wonder if if uh, if that's kind of the reality right now, or or if there's a an element where you can't really tell so because so you, many major I'll give players. I'll you my are take on why atoms are valuable right now. Mm -hmm. I think atoms are valuable right now because. They have the right like seed distribution for a permissionless system like this. One of the things that is incredibly tough as a as a system developer here now is we were lucky um, when when we launched the Cosmos Hub in many ways because it had no we had not it had not like crypto assets weren't an investment class yes. the way they are today. It is. Easy to raise lots of money still, but it is hard to get a good distribution of people who are sort of passionate missionaries for your protocol, for your ideas, who are who are going to be collaborators with you over the long run. Yep. It was possible to do that. You can argue about whether or not Ethereum did a good job, but like early days of Bitcoin, you know, look at how many Bitcoin developers from like 2011, 2012, 2013 are still working on the project. Mm -hmm. Uh, Ethereum has struggled with incentives, but you know has like had a number of long-term committed people. I think the Atom community is really committed to this coordination mechanism, to the the to managing the system, to investing. You know, the amount of work that they all put in is just extraordinary. Um, and well, I, I would, you know, I I do uh, I agree with you for for starters, uh, and I would I would take it a step further. I wonder if because Ethereum had already proven the concept. And you came in under the wire before things went really batshit crazy in 2017. If you were in like this perfect Goldilocks zone where you had enough stakeholders that could be ideological versus just speculative about it. Because even like the Ethereum crowd sale, it was this kid's fucking smart. Like, let's put money. Yeah. And there was right? there yeah. was a marketing effort there that yeah, exactly. we did not do. Exactly. We yeah. just... Sort so you were able to find like the organic believers that had already had relationships with you and Jay Kwan and 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 you know other folks on the team, uh, and leverage that uh, in a way that I you know I I, I do buy that you know narrative and, and kind of reason that the project is valuable. We're gonna agree. We're we're gonna probably agree on the potential value of atoms, but yeah. but I think the the you know in general the market's still a bit silly. But it, particularly for a project that is not aiming to create a monetary asset, right? It, it seems like there, there's a bit okay, of a disconnect so I'll, until I'll, until we start to see more like product market fit on chain. I think there's an interesting question about whether or not the Cosmos Hub could create a, a money asset. Mm -hmm. um, 
you know, the um, I think the big question is, can a chain with on-chain governance create a money, money asset? Mm -hmm. And I think just we're a month into the experiment of the Cosmos Hub's governance, actually being able to set things like inflation. Mm -hmm. And nothing's happened yet. Yeah. Um, but if, uh, uh, if th that experiment works out, perhaps the Cosmos Hub governance will find its way to, you know, either using atoms or some derivative asset of atoms as a, as a, as a, as a unit of exchange. Um, but so that possibility exists. I'm simply saying that it doesn't. And like, maybe there's a value of pricing. I think the biggest thing that we have going for it is we have like, it is a great collaborative environment between a group of like of basically functionally people um, of thousands of people all over the world. Well, we don't we don't need to get too far into the investing weeds. Or, I mean, there's so much more interesting that that's, that's happening with the ecosystem. So so let's talk about um, another kind of fascinating component of launch where you're kind of doing a redux. Um, I remember you talking about game of stakes in October of 27. So here, here's a fun fact. Um, I met Zaki at Mellon's conference in October of 2017. And yeah. I believe it may have even been during your presentation that I had the epiphany for what I wanted to build with Masari. Yeah. Because I didn't watch it. I ran out into the <laughs> other I ran into the other room and I was furiously scribbling in a napkin. Um, but um, you know, at the time you were talking about this game of stakes, which is basically how you would do the, the you know, make the test net a bit fun and adversary, you know, create an yeah. adversarial environment, stress test, some of the assumptions that were kind of pre-launch. Um, Let's talk a little bit about that and then this new game of zones, yeah. uh, which is kind of the redux of that in, in terms of what comes next. So, you know, a big part of what my role in 2018 was, mm -hmm. was creating this validator marketplace. Mm -hmm. um, did not exist. No validators existed. And that was like one of our big worries about launching the system was who is actually going to run this? Are they going to keep their computers on? Like all of these questions. Yep. Um, and we organically built like a community. People started businesses, you know, Bison Trails, Figment, um, networks all got started in a sort of our validator chat rooms. Um, and we wanted to, we, we, we sort of came up with this idea that was extremely difficult to execute, which of doing an incentivized test net. And it's fascinating to see, you know, a dozen projects now, if not more, launching incentivized test nets now, largely inspired by our work on Game of Stakes. Um, uh, a lot of them seem to be repeating mistakes that we made, um, uh, including like not really be knowing when your software is ready for something like this mm -hmm. and kind of dragging your community along. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting, though, you know, it's just like it's a little bit like the Goldilocks of the token issuance. Mm -hmm. Like it was easier the first time you do it. Now everybody's doing it. And how do you compete? Mm -hmm. um, and but we with the launch of IBC, we're trying to take some of our own internal learning about what was successful with Game of Stakes which was it really taught a group of people how to operate the software. Not just operate the software when everything is fine, but operate the software when there is a massive amount of spam on the network, people are actively trying to knock you off, et cetera. And it was just amazing to see the network keep chugging along under really horrible circumstances. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there was this massive Sybil attack. There were all kinds of, of things that will never happen on the Cosmos Hub in, in all likelihood. Um, that happened that we got to experience and the group of people who now operate the Cosmos Hub got to experience through Game of Zones. And so our big goal is with IBC, the same thing will happen. We need a community of operators. It is not simply enough to have a protocol. There must be a community of people who are now familiar with this protocol, who know how the software works, can debug it, can fix problems when they happen, uh, can make improvements, etc. And it was really successful for us to do Game of Stakes, and that produced a community for the consensus. We want to do the same thing for the interblockchain community. So there, there's two uh, maybe other main areas that that we should talk about, um, and you know they they relate to on the one hand um, your relationship to Polkadot and ETH 2.0 in yep. particular. Um, and this is kind of a good segue from from you know what we were just talking about. 
um, with game of stakes and, and how do you kind of incentivize people and, and actually stress test like this proof of stake system with validators, you know, in yeah. the wild um, where you have a head start, but now you have some other teams that may be maybe a little bit more adversarial uh, than, than, than uh, we've talked about so yeah, far in this conversation, absolutely. especially if you read Gavin's, you know, end of year Coindesk piece about sure. the, the coming uh, blockchain wars. Um, and then the other, uh, which is, it seems like it might be somewhat similar, is the relationship with Binance, because they're the 800-pound gorilla in the in the centralized exchange base and the ecosystem in general, um, but certainly have indicated their interest in ultimately moving most of their systems into a decentralized on-chain environment. So, um, which one? Uh, which one is is going to be the better segue? Which one should we cover first? The the the, the coming have, wars or I have or, opinions on both. So let's we could start with the blockchain wars. Okay. Um, I was much more. I was much more. Uh, uh, you know, if you'd asked me sort of December twenty eighteen whether or not blockchain wars were going to be a thing in twenty nineteen, mm-hmm. I would have kind of been like, yeah. Like, I can think of all of this crazy shit that you can do. Uh, you can have, like, you know, you can build a Cosmos zone that incentivizes people to fork, to produce long Bitcoin forks. You can do the same thing for Ethereum. You know, there is all of this surface area to attack. Um, I kind of, in 2020, like, don't really care about any of that anymore. Um, is it just, like, battle fatigue? No, it's, like, our... Goal should be as a community should be 10xing the user growth or 100xing like users, developers, all of the stuff. Um, I think a lot about how we've not really broken through to mainstream developers around programmable money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we haven't done that, like what is the point of all of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Cosmos, we have like a bunch of useful technical assets there. Um, so I kind of want to focus on that battle. The, the, the adoption battle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm, I don't really think, spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, whether or not Polkadot is better than Cosmos or, you know, how the trade-offs between Substrate or their consensus algorithm and our consensus algorithm. I kind of look at what they're doing. I check in periodically. We talk to their team. Um, I'm, I, you know, I, it may be a great capability to offer for expanding the developer community for instance to be able to tell people oh if you like go you can build stuff in cosmos on the cosmos sdk and if you like rust you can build stuff on substrate that connects into cosmos uh it might be a great story so you know i we have we have people looking into this question um of how to do interop across all of these things but i you know i think one of the unique advantages that we have is while many other projects are going to be spending 2020 getting their main nets out, all I want to spend 2020 on is figuring out how do I get 10 million developers building blockchains. And it doesn't have to even be our blockchain. Like, I don't really, at, at that, the victory condition is number of people. Uh, you'll have to indulge me, though. What, what are your thoughts on ETH 2.0 in particular? Uh, we know that Polkadot is going to probably launch this year. Um, but ETH2 is maybe the most hyped but ambiguous project in, in the ecosystem. And, and I've said publicly, I don't even think that you need ETH2 to scale Ethereum if it becomes just like the DeFi chain. It's very, very different from, from I think, the, the Internet of Blockchain uh, comparison. But um, I do view ETH2 with all of its shards as, as essentially a version of the hub and zone model, right? So... I tend to view Ethereum 2.0 as kind of, as it has evolved, it has become more and more and more like Cosmos, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the other aspect of it, though, is that it is, I think the most interesting thing about E2.0 is the way in which they have built the system. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Cosmos, we have a lot of contributors. We have a lot of people building zones, et cetera. Um, but we, you know, the, uh, there's a lot of the core technology still, you know, the engineering and the know-how still resides within, you know, a close set of people who've collaborated on this project. for. And Ethereum 2.0 is really trying 
to distribute the knowledge of how the system works by hiring all these diverse teams who will evolve over time. You know, many of them won't, sh you know, will never ship a working client, but they'll have, they'll, they'll have internalized a lot of expertise on the system. And that could be really exciting. Um, if it, if you can, if this social experiment actually succeeds. Uh, but like one of the things that has been so disappointing to me is really neither the E2.0 strategy nor like the converse to the E2.0 strategy, which is build a Silicon Valley style startup, is seems to be doing as good a job as I would have hoped mm -hmm. on actually building next generation systems. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Cosmos is really ideas from 2014. Um, and it's sort of, it, there are things in the Cosmos ecosystem, like um, a project that I will just call out called Lazy Ledger, um, which is um, sort of, extending the direction in way uh, uh, of tendermint uh, and the architecture around tendermint in ways that potentially eliminate the need for an uh, architecture like a sharded architecture uh, these sharded architecture ideas are really 2016 era ideas and not a single project has delivered on any of those ideas that were around when cosmos started working on this stuff in in, in uh, you know I kind of thought that we would have at least a year to two year head start on anyone shipping sharding mm -hmm. um, when we started in Cosmos. And even though we were a year late, we're still two years ahead of anyone shipping yeah, sharding. Maybe three years ahead, <laughs> like the, the, the time frame to keep And it may be that something like Lazy Ledger comes out of the Cosmos ecosystem and just mm -hmm. eliminates, um, eliminates the need or the desire for anything like sharding. Um, like, I think that's the biggest thing is the blockchain research side has moved enormously fast. Um, we haven't pulled in very many of those ideas into Cosmos. We've had the opportunity to kind of see it all evolve. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these other projects have been sort of chasing that moving research frontier, which is a really frustrating place to be. Um, and I'm, 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 so I'm excited about all those projects, happy to contribute to all of them. Uh, think you know, as those systems mature, they could all find a really useful place in the co in, in sort of the overall Cosmos architecture. But um, I also think people should be, I would say, like, as a person who spends a lot of time in the research community, I've looked at and like, I'm starting to see things come out of the research world and to the practical application world that make me really excited mm -hmm. and aren't sharding. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, you know, one uh, trade-off or at least, you know, a, an alleged trade-off that, that I've heard is, um, you know, Ethereum is, is focused on censorship resistant, unseizable, more distributed, um, applications and, uh, your bias would go more towards security. Is that fair to think about, uh, the censorship resistance of, of Cosmos being a little bit less, so hypothetic, like it's unclear how censorship resistant Cosmos is. To be honest, it is untested. Yeah. Um, it could be quite bad. Um, IBC should help a lot because you should be able to move your asset to a place where you're not going to be censored. Um, but it may not be great, um, and that that may be our downfall. Mm -hmm. um, that may be where we don't we haven't where the architecture doesn't and something more like what E two point is trying to build. Um, really shines. Um, and so that possibility exists. Um, we have optimized for modularity, scalability, simplicity, uh, or like sort of social scalability in like the Bitcoiner sense, uh, over like sort of censorship resistance and technical scalability. Yep. Um, and those trade-offs may or may not end up making any sense. Fair enough. Uh, well, uh, certainly one of the one of the risks to monitor, but but you guys are on top of it. Uh, so I guess we'll we'll wrap up with the project that is closest to product market fit uh, in in your realm, uh, which is Binance and the Binance yeah. Dex, which migrated over. For, so, well, before I get into Binance, one one small bit. You know, we we talked about Binance and we talked about Aragon. Um, on the other hand, we did see that Tron acquired DLive, yeah. which was I another was Cosmos right. project. Have they moved off of Cosmos or is that just the intention with this acquisition? I didn't check. So last time I checked into the team, it was like imminent. Mm -hmm. um, I know that that is the plan. Okay. Um, what uh, Does that change the calculus at all in terms of how you think about community building where you, you can literally have teams and, and projects that just 
market the shit out of their monetary premium and, and seniors capabilities. And they just use that capital to buy up projects that have some utility because, you know, I, I'm going to I'm going to get held for this on, on Twitter when this goes live. But you know, say what you will about Tron. They've got Steam. They've got DLive, which are two of the more actively used crypto protocols. They just bought yeah. Polo or had a hand in it. And, you know, of course, they, they purchased BitTorrent. So that, that that there's no signs of that abating. I, I almost wonder if it's like, you know, if Tron's like fake it till you make it coin. Right. Well, <laughs> and if that poses a threat as soon as um, a more community oriented system like Cosmos gets a team that is actually building something with utility, if that can just basically be purchased by a monetary asset. So what I think is like one of the bigger, so I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know exactly the calculus of the, the DLive team, um, but I have been seeing in our ecosystem, we've talked, you know, a lot, for a long time, we were sort of the token economy was really struggling with the scalability issues mm-hmm. of bringing any sort of consumer decentralized application. And we have, through sort of building Tendermint and Cosmos, kind of built a system that can deliver experiences to tens or hundreds of thousands of users where there is a blockchain component, if not sort of as, as, as like some piece of it. Um, and, you know, like the, the transaction volumes on the DLive blockchain were phenomenal. Um, and um, But you really run into a problem when you kind of want to go to market in North America, which is there is no clarity on how you can, from a regulatory point of view, bring a useful token powered application on a blockchain yep. to market in North America. Um, and that's, that's, you know, this is where I live. Uh, uh, and it's a real struggle for all of these teams to kind of uh, of build that kind of uh, build any success. So at that point, you know, you kind of go to Asia. And you look to Asia as a place where these token-powered economies, um, where like a token-powered application actually could potentially get user growth. And there, um, you know, you're in an ecosystem where Binance is very strong, Tron is very strong. Um, and I think teams and founders are going to have to make a decision. Um, and I think Cosmos is going to have to make a decision. What is it that we want to, where do we want to focus? Where do we want to build? Do we want to go and play in this environment that, uh, uh, you know, in a, in this sort of token, more token friendly economy in Asia? Mm-hmm. You know, we have deep connections in Korea, et cetera. There, there are possibilities there. Um, you know, there are several exchanges falling after Binance building Cosmos chains. Um, or do we want to look at another market? And I, that's a lot of thing I spend a lot of time thinking about right now. Um, so I, I think I think the net net of why DLive ended up going mm-hmm. is they were happy they were happy with the technology they were happy with their user growth but as a practical matter they need a they need to be able to you know onboard offboard have liquidity for tokens etc in order for any of this to make any sense yep. and you can't do that in North America today. Yep. Uh, I, I mean I I certainly buy that and it kind of brings us to the last question on on the relationship with Binance right because. Um, it, it is, it's gotta be the most, it's gotta be the largest, uh, zone in the um, Cosmos network. In terms of users, I actually think Terra, which is a stable coin okay. in South Korea mm-hmm. actually has more active accounts. Like they have like 900,000 active accounts on their blockchain. Now, whether or not that translates into users, um, there's a whole bunch of questions about economics, but it's, we have a couple of big ones. Okay. Um, Binance definitely being one of the top, one of the one of, one of, one of largest, um, and and so you know DLive is an example of a smaller application that that you know is basically incentivized to go a larger project like Tron, which is you know top ten in, in terms of market capitalization and liquidity. Um, Binance is liquidity, right? Yes. So so uh, you know is um, is there a scenario where uh, Binance does something that that's slightly different, where they either just can can they ultimately like subsume the hub? I guess is is, is the question, right? If if their zone gets big enough, do they become the hub, and does Cosmos hub become a zone? What I so I fully agree with all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, what I would say is is I don't imagine that Binance will ever be the experiment in permissionlessness that the hub is. Mm-hmm. Now the question that is harder is does permissionlessness have product market fit? Yes. 
But Binance will not compete in that experiment. Binance is simply saying we are building a far more centralized, far more controlled system that allows for non-custodial trading. I think they will adopt IBC um, simply because it gives them permissionless extensibility and scaling, which they need. Um, it will be good for their users and for DeFi. Um, and I think you know our relationship at that level continues to be good. Um, I think it will provide an enormous reason to build in the Cosmos ecosystem because it will give you access to that liquidity, um, which no decks, other decks will be able to compete with. Yep. Um, but the question for Cosmos is, can permissionless find product market fit? Um, and I think that is an entirely orthogonal experiment to what Binance does on their side. And at a more meta level, does any of this even matter? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because but, if, if, because yeah. if, if you take away permissionlessness, like, you know, you're, you're talking about, you know, uh, centralized distribution. What, what I love about Binance, though, is Binance is the dream that, like, Jay, Ethan, and I had when we started Cosmos in so many ways. Yeah. Because there is no company. There is just a Cosmos chain. There is just Tendermint holding the primary assets of a distributed business network. Yeah. And that's it. And that's mind blowing. Mm -hmm. And that it happened in the first year that we were live. Like, it's so exciting and so satisfying. <laughs> like, I wish, you know, I, I, to a certain extent, I wish I had the balls to do what ZZ is doing. Yeah. Uh, like, just well, like. To we live in the great, <laughs> we live in the great state uh, of, of, you know, uh, the, the, the great nation of, of uh, the US. But yeah, so I. <laughs> I think it's like, uh, I, I think it is a quite beautiful thing. It is quite, it, Binance really does represent the vision of Cosmos in some form. Mm -hmm. I wonder, I, I would hope that there are, is a future in which there are thousands and thousands of Binance like things where there is no, where there, where the company is primarily embodied by uh, openly verifiable Cosmos blockchain. Zachy, where can people get involved and follow you and, and the project? Uh, at Z-M-A-N-I-A-N on Twitter, um, uh, at Cosmos on Twitter. Uh, those are great places. We pretty much tweet everything out. Um, we have weekly IBC calls. Our GitHub is very active. The Cosmos forums is very active. The Telegram is kind of a nightmare, but it exists. Um, so, you know, there's just all. And uh, Cosmos.network is kind of like the landing point for all of this. Well, we'll link to all this in the show notes and uh, make sure that if there's any more jargony components, we'll, we'll, we'll have call outs for, for additional resources as well. So people don't feel totally lost if they want to learn more. Um, but it's been great having you. It's great to see you again. Uh, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for coming. All right, everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Until next time, be good. Peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.